Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeart Radio app. You, my friend, are listening to Home. I'm Dean Sharp, the house whisperer, custom home builder, custom home designer, here to help you turn your ordinary house into an extraordinary home like we do every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 and Sundays from 9 to 11. Oh, my goodness. I'm sitting here. It's a, a dark December 5th morning. It's cool, uh, dare I say, a little cold outside. Uh, but uh, here in the studio, uh, it's snug. And I'm literally, this is what you want to see first thing in the morning. You want to look across the table and you want to see uh, a steaming cup of coffee. You want to see uh, your microphone, which means is my way of uh, looking at you. Uh, you want to see... Uh, your best friend in all the world, Tina, smiling back at you, and uh, and a pile of bacon. And there it is. It's a Christmas miracle. There it is. Oh, all right. So the team is all here and ready to roll. Tina is here. So uh, let's get to work. You know what I want to talk about this weekend? Uh, is going to be a very bathy, bathy, uh, what's the right term? I don't know. Bathroom. It's a bathroom weekend. And uh, two elements of the bathroom, specifically the bathing parts of the bathroom. Today, I would love to have a discussion with you about tubs. And tomorrow, on uh, tomorrow's fine program, we will be discussing showers. Today is tubs. Tomorrow is showers. So, to have this tub discussion, I need to tell you a couple of things. To set in your mind, uh, the context of the modern bathroom. Number one, the first thing that I want you to understand about the bathroom is, in general is how uh, psychologically and emotionally important the bathroom is to you. You would think, well, it's physically important. I don't know how psychologically important it, it, it is. Well, no, it is very important to you. I've shared this before. But it's worthy of uh, sharing again and again every time the subject comes up uh, from a design perspective on um, the significance of bathrooms. There was a, uh, and I say was, uh, I, I think he's still around, a, a sociologist who wrote a, a book, a, a French sociologist named Clotaire Repay, 
who wrote a book uh, back in the early 2000s called The Culture Code. And uh, I read this book of his, and it was uh, an excellent work on decoding certain elements of culture, especially as it went to uh, architecture and or design. And he had been hired by a major hotel chain. Uh, I believe it was Marriott, I think. I'm not sure. I could be mistaken. It's been a while. But he had been hired by a major uh, hotel chain, one of the biggies, that had decided, hey, we're, we're, it's time to upgrade our hotels. It's time to, uh, we've got a lot of money to invest. We're ready to invest. But we want to know where we should spend the money. Should we spend it in the lobby? Should we spend it in the hallways, on the outside, at the swimming pool? You know, should we buy new beds? What should be the tip of the spear of this renovation dollar that we have set aside? And uh, he uh, dove in and examined their culture and American culture in general. And he came away with this conclusion. He said, I, I want you to spend your money in your bathrooms, upgrade all the rooms, uh, bathrooms. And here was why, he said, because the American code, in fact, the Western civilization code uh, for the bathroom is safety and retreat, safety and retreat, a private place to retreat, even more so than the hotel room itself. And let's face it, every time you check out a hotel room, you you walk in and you're like, oh, that's nice, and then it's a nice bed. Okay, you kind of see what you expect to see. But everybody judges the, the, the room ultimately by what the bathroom looks like. So you walk in, you're like, oh, that's a nice bed. Oh, it's got a nice view. Oh, this is roomy. Okay, that's a nice uh, flat screen TV. But, the, you know, you expect all of that. Then the question is, oh, what's the bathroom look like? And that's the deciding point, isn't it? Whether the room is like, yeah, it's fine. Or, hey, hey, look in here. This is a nice room. Look at this bathroom. So uh, they uh, were praising his analysis because it was spot on. And it uh, shot them ahead in the marketplace among their competitors. But I got uh, caught up in this idea that the bathroom was this place of retreat and safety and privacy. And he made this one really significant point that I think bears repeating again and again and again. Uh, as you grow up, uh, the bathroom is, for most of us, the very first space, the very first room that we are allowed to be in, nay, encouraged to be in, with the door closed all by ourselves. When uh, it comes to your bedroom or other rooms, you know, for years and years and years, mom and dad uh, are, you know, kind of wanting to keep tabs on things. And so, you know, no, you and your friends can go in that room, but uh, keep the door open. Uh, you and that boy of yours can go in the, uh, can do homework, quote unquote, in the room, but keep the door, no, but the bathroom. No, as soon as you learn to use the toilet effectively on your own, guess what? You are allowed to go in this room, shut the door behind you, be in there all alone. And Clotaire Repay had made the, the point that this sinks deep into our psyche as uh, children, and that uh, as we grow up, even as adults, the bathroom remains this private place of retreat and sanctuary. And I think it's true. I think it's very, very true. Bathrooms in general. How many times have you been at a party 
and, you know, you're getting bored or you need an excuse to get away from a conversation or you just need a break and uh, you say to somebody, you know, oh, I'm going to use the restroom or you're at a restaurant. Oh, you know, excuse me, I'm going to go use the restroom and you don't have to go. You don't actually have to use the restroom, but you make the excuse and you go to the restroom because once you're there, once you close that door, once you close the stall of a, a, a public restroom, um, you're on your own again, right? Suddenly you're in your own officially approved private world again. Bathrooms are retreat spaces. Now, in the 21st century, in American architecture, we have finally figured that out. And more and more bathrooms are becoming places where we spend a lot of time. We're designing them to be places where we spend a lot of time, places to retreat, places that are more spa-like, zen-like, places that are more comfortable, that have more seating options, and so on. And this rolls into the conversation then of the bathtub. Showers are for tomorrow, but the bathtub. The bathtub has been through some ups and downs in uh, the uh, scope of American culture of what we want. Uh, we started out, it used to be, at the very beginning, as we will learn next, the very first bathing fixture that we had the availability to use in a bathroom. And then it became uber popular, and then it fell out of fashion. And even to this day, the question is, uh, do we really need a bathtub? So uh, that's where we're going to take the conversation next. I'm going to tell you about the uh, brief history of the bathtub and how that relates to how we're going to design yours, whether we should design yours, whether you should keep the one that you've got, redesign the bathroom around a new kind of freestanding spa tub, or get rid of it altogether. It's all about tubs this morning, and I am so glad you've joined me. Hang tight. Got a lot more to come. You are listening to Home with Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer. KFI, Dean Sharp, the house whisperer at your service. You're listening to Home, where every week we help you better understand the place where you are living. I am so glad you have joined us this morning, and I am so glad I would love to talk to you about whatever's going on with your home today. So, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to go to the phones right here at the bottom of the hour like we do. Uh, the lines are open now, so now is your chance to give me a call and jump into the queue. The number to reach me at, anything you want to discuss regarding your home, a design question, a construction concern, a DIY question, anything, 833-2-ASK-DEAN. 833-2-ASK-DEAN. You know, 833-2-ASK-DEAN, because that's what you're going to to ask dean that's not the right use in a sentence. Okay. Uh, anyway, that's the number, 833-2-ASK-DEAN. Give me a call, uh, and let's talk about what's going on with your home. So, I think I have established my point, and I think you are resonating with me, that uh, the bathroom is a special place, and it has been a special place, uh, kind of buried in our psyche that way, ever since we were little kids, because it is that very first room that mom and dad said, you can have this as your private domain. As soon as you master the toilet, essentially, 
then you can go in there and please go in there and shut the door behind you and be alone in that place and take care of your business. And uh, that has stuck with all of us. It's a place where we can be alone. So um, pretty important. Now, I'm not going to get into the history of bathing because uh, that goes back you know, tens of thousands of years and uh, really doesn't have any relevance on uh, where we're at today because, you know, most of the most of the history of bathing is not bathing, uh, to be honest. Uh, but we bathe now. Uh, please bathe every day. Public service announcement. Uh, <clears throat> so what is the history of bathing in regards to the United States, in regards to our homeland here? Well, the bathtub story is something that has kind of come full circle. 1883, an American entrepreneur whose uh, young company made products from steel and iron took one of his own cast iron horse troughs and added four decorative feet to it and covered it in white enamel and boom, became the inventor of the modern bathtub. That young man's name was John Michael Kohler. And some of you are already recognizing that last name, Kohler, as a company that still bears his name and is perhaps the most respected plumbing fixture company on planet Earth. So Kohler invented the modern bathtub. Not the bathtub in general, because, you know, bathtub, any basin that you can pour water into, somebody can sit in. There you go technically a bathtub, but the modern bathtub as we understand it. Some might say the clawfoot tub. There you go. So despite Kohler's brilliant 1883 bathtub, still only 1% of American homes had indoor plumbing nearly 40 years later. It was the early 1920s when wash basin, wash, 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 wash basins and uh, outhouses were still pretty much the norm in America. Wash basins meaning, uh, you know, like the pitcher and the, the basin sitting up on top of the dresser in your room. Uh, no running water in the bathroom or a bathroom with running water or a sink. So if you think about it in that context, a tub with feet made a lot of sense. We have a name for larger fixtures in your home that aren't built into the design of the house. It's called furniture. And since the bathtub came along way before bathrooms were ever designed for them, it makes sense that the tub was seen more as a piece of furniture, legs and all, right? It wasn't until the tub became a permanent bathroom fixture that it also started to kind of look like one. In the late 20s and early 30s, new homes needed tubs. Builders needed tubs to cost less and to take up less space. And guess what was born? You've all seen it. You probably have one in your home. That two and a half deep by five foot long tub alcove, and in it uh, was placed a one-sided apron front built-in tub. Apron tubs are uh, still the dominant tub in American homes. Most apron tubs are still about two and a half by five feet. Uh, this same kind of evolution, by the way, took place in the kitchen as well. What started out as freestanding kitchen table became a kitchen island. Uh, the famous multi-purpose Hoosier cabinet of the late teens and early 1920s became the entire kitchen full of built-in specialty cabinetry. So you see how architecture and design evolves. Now... 
140 years after Kohler's bathtub, 100 years after the advent of indoor plumbing, uh, both modern kitchens and bathrooms are starting uh, to get bigger. Uh, they are more stylish, and they're re-embracing the look of cabinets and tubs as freestanding pieces of furniture. Full circle, right? So now things in terms of a bathtub are far more about a luxury spa-like environment. Uh, soaking has always felt special. Now uh, it is uh, uh, being uh, served instead of servants and people helping us by systems, mechanical systems, and uh, fixtures, and so on. And so that sets up the story of the tub for us. Now, what decision shall we make about your tub? That will have to wait, because when we come back, we're going to go to the phones and find out what's going on with your home. Your home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. KFI. AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You are home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. Oh, I've got a pastathon uh, thing to read to you. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? I don't see it. Ah, here it is. Uh, the pastathon is not over yet. It is our 10th year raising funds and pasta and sauce for Katarina's Club, Chef Bruno's charity that provides more than 25,000 meals to kids across Southern California each week. It has been a great pastathon week, by the way. Fantastic. And uh, I am here to encourage you through the weekend, let's keep it going and make it the best year ever. Because this year the need is greater than ever. Because of COVID, Katarina's Club is helping even more in the community. They've already served more than a million, a million meals this year so far. That is a milestone that normally takes the entire year to achieve, and they've already crossed it. So uh, how can you help? You can help through Sunday night, tonight, and today and tomorrow. This is it. So if you have not given yet, then uh, then today is the time to step up. Donate right now at pastathon.com, pastathon.com. And stop into any Smart and Final store, California, Arizona, and Nevada. Donate $10 at checkout. Your donation will provide 14 meals. 10 bucks at the register will translate into 14 meals. That is an excellent use of resources. All right. Uh, I'm so anxious to talk more tubs with you, but I'm also anxious to uh, talk to you about what's going on with your home. So why don't we go to the phones? Well, let's talk to Mary. Hey, Mary, welcome home. Hi, Dean. Good morning. I have Good a question morning. for you. Yeah, I have a question for you. Bricks. My husband and I are whitewashing our outdoor bricks, and I've done some research, and it seems like you should not use paint on outdoor bricks because paint will eventually flake off. So I found a recipe and instructions using white Portland cement mixed with lime, 
And we experimented with that technique last weekend, and it was uh, disappointing, to say the least. Um, we didn't like uh, the outcome. We didn't like how it turned out. It looked, when it dried, it looked bright white. And what I really want is a more subtle, sheer, transparent look. So, um, and it looked okay when it was wet, but the next morning when it was bright, it was like, oh, no, what have we done? So, do you have a recipe for whitewashing outdoor bricks and a technique uh, that will get me that more subtle whitewashed look that I want? I do. I do have a recipe. Uh, it's going to frustrate you a little bit, just slightly, because here's the recipe. Uh, paint. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. Really? No, I'm not kidding at all. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I I don't agree at all with the uh, the the premise that uh, somehow you're going to have uh, a future disaster. Because here here's the thing, whitewash, by the way, is not a uh, full strength paint. Uh, if you were to just paint uh, exterior bricks, <clears throat> you're sealing over the porosity of the brick so that the brick can't breathe. And, uh, and it can't uh, move water through it because a brick is a porous uh, thing. And so that's why painting bricks or stone sometimes leads to, uh, to undesirable results because there's moisture inside a brick. There's moisture inside a stone uh, on the exterior of a house. And that moisture is going to find its way out through a process called uh, capillary action and hydrostatic pressure. And that is why... From the back side, sometimes paint bubbles on a brick or on a stone because the moisture is trying to push it, its way out. But here's the thing. That whole logic breaks down when we're talking about whitewashing because whitewashing is not covering over the entire surface of the brick with a uniform sealed uh, surface. What we're talking about whitewashing is taking a good exterior paint and we're talking about watering it down. A whitewash is not a paint. It is a severely watered down paint. A watered down paint that's going to soak into the brick. It is not going to seal it. Water and moisture are going to pass freely through the pores of the brick. They are not going to push the paint out from the backside. They're not going to make it flake. Uh, and so it's kind of a myth and a misnomer. And so I, I you know, I don't buy it. We've whitewashed so many things before uh, when it comes to exterior porous surfaces like that never had a problem with it so uh and paint of course gives you control of the color uh first of all because you've got an endless array of colors that you can choose from you don't have to just choose white on white on white you can uh, choose a sandier white a warmer white a cooler white whichever way you want to go and you'll water it down. And so my suggestion when it comes to uh, a, a whitewash situation is that you start with a decent exterior paint and uh, you're going to water it down and water it down a lot first time on because what you don't want to do, once the color is on, the color's on. So uh, what I like to do is uh, water down more than you expect that you want to and let your first coat go on and uh, stand back, let it dry, and take a look. You're like, wow, is that as, uh, is that as white as we want it to be? Do we want it a little bit more uh, whitewashy bright? Or is uh, that a nice blend of the white and the brick still bleeding through? Because you can always 
go back and add a second coat. And the more, you know, just like paint, the more uh, whitewash coats you add to the brick, the brighter and brighter, the whiter and whiter, and more uniform the bricks are going to become. So just use a good quality exterior paint. Make sure those bricks are clean and dry. And then uh, use a highly diluted uh, coat to start with so that you can get a sense of your bricks and how they're going to absorb the color. The paint dries quickly, so you're going to be able to observe the color in very short order and then get back to the project again until you dial it in just right. And that, my friend, is all you need to do. All right, Mary, thank you for your question. Uh, a really good one. Uh, why don't we take some more? Uh, we will. We will when we come back. You're home with Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer. KFI, Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer. Hey, don't miss another episode of the House Whisperer podcast. It is your very own personal home improvement reference library. You can find it wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Just search for Home with Dean Sharp and boom, there it is. Hundreds of episodes, hundreds of hours, all commercial free, waiting for you. You can listen anytime day or night, every single one of our programs that we've ever done also converted into podcast form and made part of that stream. You can find it on the free iHeartRadio app, iTunes, or uh, like I said, wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Home with Dean Sharp. Uh, find it, enjoy it, love it. I don't know. What else am I going to say? All right. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Why don't we talk to Thomas? Hey, Thomas, welcome home. And thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate that. Um, You're welcome, sir. How can I help? Um, yeah, you know, um, I'm kind of a novice about um, spas, jacuzzis, hot tubs, whatever. Um, my first house, uh, it had one, and, of course, I replaced it when I bought the house. Um, this house I have, um, I'm, I'm leaning more towards an in-ground type of jacuzzi but i you know since i am a novice i'm just wondering um are, are there um pros are there cons um versus above ground or in ground um and are there permits that are needed cost wise and then what do you recommend salt or regular uh, water for the uh, um, jacuzzi i was just curious you know what your feeling is on those uh, items i just mentioned okay do you already have a pool um, no, I don't. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not a, a, a pool fan. My family had one when we were younger. I know what the, the, the cost and maintenances are, but I'm, I'm just looking for a, a jacuzzi, an in-ground jacuzzi. But I've, I've never uh, done this before. I don't know where to start. Uh, are there permits that are required? You know, what's that, like a normal cost? Yeah, I got you. And then, yeah. yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, so, uh, so, you know, a lot of this, Thomas, comes down to uh, a matter of, personal taste and personal preference. Uh, some people love in-ground uh, spas, uh, spa tubs, hot tubs. Um, I'm, you see, um, I'm avoiding using the word uh, jacuzzi 
because uh, Jacuzzi is actually a brand. It's not a style of tub. It's a brand name. Uh, but it's the kind of thing that has become uniformly, generically branded onto, you know, because they've been so popular. It's like saying Kleenex. Uh, you know, could you please hand me a Kleenex? It's a facial tissue, but, you know, Kleenex has dominated the market and, uh, you know, things like that. Kleenex, Coke, and Jacuzzi. Uh, but Jacuzzi is a brand. And by the way, uh, it has earned that reputation. It is an excellent brand of, uh, of a hot tub. There are other brands out there as well, which I'm not going to bother naming because there's a lot of them. But uh, basically, if you're buying an above-ground one, and that's what we're talking about here when we're talking about a Jacuzzi or some other brand of, uh, of hot tub, uh, just look for warranties and uh, the quality of the uh, material. Uh, not many of them use fiberglass anymore. Most of them are resin-based. And uh, the better insulated, the better the unit uh, in general. Now, an in-ground, an in-ground is going to mean that you're setting that up like a pool. And that is going to require a dig, and it's going to require gunite or shotcrete uh, to put into the ground. And it's going to require equipment location that is remote from the uh, spa area itself, and that is going to require a permit. If you're buying an above-ground one that's already just a, a kind of a, a plug-and-play package unit, that does not require a permit. You just roll on down to the uh, spa store, pick out the one that you like, buy it, uh, set it up for delivery, uh, and then uh, boom. Now, the only thing that might technically require a permit is if you have to rework a little electrical to get a uh, power supply done. But that's just a, uh, literally, that, that's no, there's no plans involved in that. An electrician or you would uh, just go to the city and say, hey, I'm putting in this. It takes 220, 30-amp circuit, uh, and so on. If your panel's already capable of doing it, then you can probably just run that and not worry about it at all. But an in-ground spa definitely is a dig, and in most municipalities gets treated like a pool and requires a permit. Now, Nice thing about the in-ground, very permanent, very sleek, you know, part of the yard uh, in that regard. Uh, and uh, the one thing that I have against above-ground spas are, you know, generally the way they look in terms of the cladding that they put around the outside. They try and make them look like it looks all wood, you know, but it's not. It's kind of a plastic vinyl cladding and so on. Apart from that, though, I'm actually a big fan of above-ground uh, spas. And uh, the reason is they're more efficient. Uh, they heat better. Uh, they've got a lot more bubble action, uh, right? Because you're using that resin shell and you poke a lot of holes in it and you got aeration in a lot more places than you can by uh, doing a gunite in-ground uh, spa. You'd have to put a lot of aerator strips in there and design it really well. They're going to be less expensive than uh, digging the spa. And uh, in my opinion, they're better and they're better insulated. The, the water stays uh, hotter, uh, longer. Uh, it holds its heat better. They're more efficient. All the equipment is right there packed into the unit. The downside, if there is one, is its general appearance, which is why I've actually had clients where we've said, hey, you know what we're going to do is we're actually going to dig and pour a partially submerged uh, pit to set this new spa in uh, to make it a little bit more in ground. Now, you can't pull, fully put it in ground, or you shouldn't, because you have to have access to the equipment, which is part of the unit itself and there has to be ample access to get to the motor and the power and all of that kind of thing but that doesn't stop you from building a deck around an above ground spa and 
for all intents and purposes, having it in ground, quote unquote, because it can be sitting at the level of the deck. So you have a lot of design options to think about, but generally speaking, the above ground units are going to be less expensive. And saline uh, versus highly chlorinated, uh, chlorinated water, that's the future of all pools and spas, and so I recommend it highly. Uh, it's not salt water like at the beach. It's much uh, less salty than that, but uh, uh, especially a resin spa, which has a very non-porous surface. They don't need as much cleaning. They don't promote as much algae growth, and so uh, it is a great option. And that is my opinion on that. You really do have your freedoms, but there are pros and cons to both. Thomas, thank you for your question, sir. All right, let's get back to tubs, shall we? When we return, you're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. Alabama, Arkansas, I do love my mom pa, not the way that I do love you. Holy moly, me oh my, you're the apple of my eye Girl, I never loved one like you Man, oh man, you're my best friend I'll scream it to the nothingness There ain't nothing that I need Well, hot and heavy pumpkin pie Chocolate candy, Jesus Christ Ain't nothing please me more than you Oh, let me come home Home is wherever I'm with you Oh, oh let me go home Home is wherever I'm with you KFI, AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You are listening to Home. I'm Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. Custom home builder, custom home designer, here with you live as I am every weekend, every Saturday morning from 6 to 8, every Sunday from 9 to 11. Thanks for joining us for the second hour of our fine program. What is this about, you ask? Have you never listened before? Well, I will tell you what we're all about. We're here to help you truly understand your home we're also here to challenge you to recreate your home uh, more artfully than you ever thought possible. And, you know, to also inspire you to build yourself a beautiful life, to encourage everyone listening to us that you can do indeed exactly that. We're doing it today by talking about tubs. Tubs are an odd thing. They have become a luxury item. Uh, and uh, if you're going to put a new tub, if you're planning on remodeling the bathroom and you're one of those folks who have said, you know, I really do want a tub. I want a nice tub. I want a soaker tub. I want to yank out the old alcove tub, the one with the little uh, uh, apron front to it that sits in the uh, two and a half by five foot long alcove. I want to get rid of that. I want to or I want to rip out the old uh, spa tub with the gigantic platform that takes up like 20 feet in my bathroom, and I'd love to have just a freestanding soaker tub, then you are part of the full-on trend in American bathroom design uh, if you're looking for just that kind of a thing. Now, somebody else might say, do we even need a tub? We will address that shortly. But let's say, for the sake of argument, that you're planning on putting a new tub in. What do you need to know 
to get that tub right? Well, there are about five things you need to know. Are you ready? Because I'm going to tell you what they are right now. At the very top of the list is obviously a properly sized hot water heater. That should go without saying. If you have a tanked water heater, then you need to be able to uh, have enough water to get the tub full and still leave a little hot water for everybody else, you selfish... Okay, uh, if you have a tankless uh, hot water heater, then you don't have that much of a concern uh, because it's going to produce everything you need. But a properly sized water heater is required. The next item has got to be the number one thing most overlooked or unknown by uh, most homeowners and that uh, only some plumbers uh, bring up and have the foresight to take care of. And that is this. Okay, are you ready? This is the pearl of the day. Here it is. An oversized water supply line for your new soaking tub. Boom. Every fixture in your house is being fed by a uh, half-inch supply line. Hot water, half-inch hot water line, half-inch uh, cold water line to every sink, to the toilets, you know, to the washer and dryer. Everything is getting half-inch. If you are going to put in a nice soaker tub and you imagine filling it up with piping hot water and then dipping your toe in and sitting in there for a while and you know not having the water go cold on you too fast and having to refill it, then our goal here is to fill that tub as quickly as possible because there's a lot of water going into that tub. And so it has been standard operating procedure for us for the last, oh, I don't know, 30 plus years that when we put in a luxury tub or a soaking tub, an oversized soaking tub, that we are going to run a three-quarter inch supply line to that tub in hot and cold. The simple point is this. It takes a long time to fill up a bathtub with water, even a small-sized bathtub. It takes a while to fill it up. Uh, we want that tub of yours to be filled up in three to five minutes tops, not 15 minutes. Because if it takes 15 minutes to fill up your tub, that hot water uh, is not hot anymore. Okay, so it defeats the purpose. We want a fire hose filling up that tub for all intents and purposes so that the water stays hot. That's just that simple. That one simple element most overlooked and is the key to uh, having a great tub experience. Obviously, the quality of the tub uh, is uh, another item. Uh, the more insulated the tub, the better. The more it holds heat, the better. Proper floor conditions around the tub have to be uh, considered. Probably don't want to uh, set the tub on carpeting. I'm just, I'm just winging it here, uh, but I'm saying you probably don't want to carpet your bathroom, obviously. But uh, beyond that, though, I've seen tubs. We've set tubs on hardwood floors in open bathrooms before. Uh, just have to be very, very ginger about splashing outside of that tub. And if that's not your cup of tea and you don't want to be that careful about those kinds of things, then you need to take into consideration the kind of flooring that's going to be around that soaking tub. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to build in a drain on the floor underneath the tub, although that's a thing that is done. Uh, but having a uh, kind of a bomb-proof, waterproof surface there that can be mopped up easily without damaging it, that's probably a great idea. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about does every house need a tub, and the last point on getting your new tub right, which is the design of 
the bathroom itself. Uh, here's a little preview. Location, light, sight, aroma, and sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the point of having a soaking tub to uh, sit in a bathroom if the view and the ambiance of the room itself is not set up to maximize that experience? All of that and more when we return. I'm so glad you joined me this morning. Hang tight. A lot more to come. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp, The House Whisper. KFI, Dean Sharp, The House Whisper at your service. So glad you joined me this morning. I would love to talk to you about what's going on with your home today. So if you would like, uh, give me a call. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to go back to the phones. The lines are open right now. Now's your chance. Give me a call. Jump into the queue. We'll talk about whatever's going on with your home, whether it's a construction question, a DIY issue, um, a design question, any or all of the above. The number to reach me at 8 Three three two ask dean 833 the number two ask dean the phone lines are open now ba-boom all right back to your tub uh, do you need one probably uh, one of the uh, number one tub questions that we get these days that's how strangely you know the the life of the bathtub in american culture has uh, has gone uh, used to be the primary thing, uh, the primary way of bathing, right? Uh, because, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, and we're going to do this in a show, I think, in the beginning of uh, 2021. Uh, Lord, I hope so, uh, if uh, COVID regulations uh, permit it. But uh, we're actually going to be doing a show from the Camp House, which is a historic home that we have been uh, given the responsibility of renovating out in the Sierra Madre area. One of the tricks uh, or trickiest parts of doing that house has been the fact that uh, redesigning a 21st century master suite in that home uh, would, of course, entail a, a big shower area. That shower, of course, uh, is something that didn't exist in 1903 when the house was built. Nobody was doing showers. And so that's been an architectural uh, uh, struggle uh, to how do we build in a shower that uh, preserves the feel and the story of the house uh, and brings it into the 21st century at the same time. Anyway, the, the point being that uh, tubs used to be the only way that anybody bathed at all uh, for the longest time. And then showers came and stole that away. And rightly so. I mean, we all know the efficiency of a shower. That's why showers are number one these days. And tubs have been largely relegated to the area of, uh, luxury accessory. So then the question becomes, does every house need a tub? And uh, I would still answer these days. Uh, our typical answer is probably yes for its utility. And uh, this is how it breaks down. If resale is even an issue in your future, then you're going to want to try and keep a tub in the house somewhere. Now, if you don't care about resale and uh, you have no other utilitarian needs for a tub, then uh, lose all the tubs and just do uh, big, gorgeous showers and have at it. But 
keeping one tub doesn't have to be in the master bath, uh, bathroom. That's for certain. Uh, but keeping one tub in the house uh, can be practical for a young families uh, with young children uh, or empty nesters with grandchildren like Tina and I are in that situation where our uh, little four-year-old granddaughter who spends a night at our house every week, at least one night a week, uh, and takes her bath here at the house. You know, normally you don't put uh, two-year-olds inside a shower <laughs> for their evening bath. You put them in the tub. And so it's good to have a tub. And so when we remodeled our place in the last year, uh, we uh, kept a tub uh, specifically for Olivia and friends uh, to enjoy along the way. So uh, we used to say aging in place was a reason to keep a tub. But honestly, uh, that has largely been replaced with curbless showers, which are much more efficient and safe and or walk-in tubs. And that's a whole nother area of discussion for another day pets another reason to have a tub if you bathe your own pet uh some people think oh i would never do that and it's fine whatever all i'm saying is there are some utilitarian reasons to consider keeping a tub around okay but if we're going for the new tub and the soaker tub uh we've already discussed the main things you need to do to get it right but here is the thing that is always uh you know, secondary and shouldn't be. And that is designing that tub into a bathroom worthy of spending time in the tub. These are the steps from a design perspective that I would encourage you to consider. The location of the tub in the room, the light, and, you know, uh, the sight, the aromas in the room, the sound. Uh, these are all factors when it comes to that enjoyable soaking experience. And all you really have to do is put yourself in that place mentally and ask yourself, which direction do I want this tub facing? What do I want to be seeing when I'm sitting here? Uh, those are the kinds of things when I talk about location, light, sight. There is no argument that I know of for putting less windows in a modern bathroom. More glass more light, more glass, more light. Did I mention this? More glass, more light. I don't care. You can keep the, you have pull shades for privacy or you can put in privacy glass, okay? I'm not talking about exposing you to the world. I'm talking about exposing the world to you. Aha! Uh -huh. uh -huh. More outdoor light. Lighter, brighter bathrooms at every turn, okay? And then, uh, you know, light at night, same kind of thing. Uh, soft, indirect LED lighting. Jennifer Jones-Lee, I was talking to her yesterday morning about this. She told her electrician, hey, can you put the uh, the uh, the light switch in the master bathroom on a dimmer? And he's like, with all this other work you have to do, you want to do that? And rightly so, because Jennifer likes to soak in the tub. So she wants to bring those lights in the bathroom down to that candlelight quality, right? These are the things that you should be thinking about. Uh, aroma. Yeah, uh, diffusers, essential oils in the tub water with you, that kind of thing. And sound. Here is the number one reason why we are tearing out so many uh, old jetted tubs. You know, jetted jacuzzi-style tubs, very popular in master bathrooms in the uh, 80s and 90s. And why are they all getting yanked out? Well, number one, they take up uh, an incredible amount of space because they've got these massive platforms built around them. And uh, we all know that that is just something that nobody wants these days. And number two, the ads look great in a magazine. 
uh, you're sitting there and it's candlelit and there's the bubbles and there's the woman in the tub and she's just relaxing. But in the real world, okay, you get all that set up and then you press the button for the jacuzzi uh, blower and this is what you get. And that's the end of that Zen spa-like experience. All right, when we come back, uh, why don't we go to the phones? You're home with Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You are home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. That's me. Hey, uh, the KFI Pastathon, not over yet. This is the final weekend. We are doing our best to make it the best year ever. So we've got two days left, today and tomorrow. It's our 10th year raising funds and pasta and sauce for Katarina's Club, Chef Bruno's charity that provides more than 25,000 meals to kids across Southern California each week. This year, the need is even greater because, you know, COVID. Uh, and uh, Katarina's Club is helping even more in the community than they ever have. They've served a million ye- uh, meals this year so far. They usually don't hit that milestone until the end of the year. So uh, they are, uh, they've taken on more than ever before. And because of COVID, the risk is that uh, people aren't going to get as involved in Pastathon uh, as before because, you know, it's not the big event and the day and the whole thing. Not true. Everybody is coming through in spades, and it has been a fantastic experience thus far, but it's not over. So if you have not done your part, if you haven't donated yet, now's your chance. Pastathon.com. Just go to Pastathon.com. Dot com and make your donation right now, today, or stop into any Smart and Final store in California, Arizona, Nevada. Donate $10 at checkout. Your donation will provide 14 meals. $10, 14 meals. You cannot argue with the efficiency of that level of donation. Help us make Pastathon uh, the best it's ever been this year. And uh, thank you very much ahead of time for doing that. All right. Why don't we go to the phones? Um, dying to talk to somebody. Let's let's talk to Kyle. Hey, Kyle, welcome home. Hi, um, I have a wireless front door lock. You know, it's got the keypad. I punch in a number, it unlocks, works great. Um, but it and, and I can't tell you the name, the, the brand of, of it because it's not in front of me right now. But it has a wireless capability in it, but. It doesn't connect to my home wireless that everything else does, you know, computers, printers, and all that other stuff. So do you know what I need to do to get the two to talk so I can put an app on my phone and unlock the door when I'm not there or lock the door when I'm not there? Um, okay, I'm a little confused because if it's wireless, then it then the whole point of it being wireless is that uh, it sh- – so are you saying that it's keyless? You have a keyless door lock? Um, well, it because has, it is it's keyed. I, I can use a key if I want to, but it's got a keypad. I can punch in a number and it unlocks and, and, and that sort of thing. But it has a wireless capability, but somehow the 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 standard of the wireless or the or the the style of wireless is different than you know what I have in the rest of the house. It's got a some sort of different protocol in its wireless capability. It's different. 
So oh, okay. I don't. You know not, what I'm not an unusual I situation. Like or zombie yeah. or something like that. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, not an unusual situation for some accessories when you're buying a wireless uh, plug-in accessory for your home. Sometimes they are, um, you may have 5 gigahertz uh, wire, Wi-Fi inside your house uh, that doesn't reach down low enough. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes some of these wireless accessories are older generational ones and they're, they operate at 2 gigahertz. And so they don't communicate seamlessly with the Wi-Fi in your home. However, most of the time I find that they do. Uh, so the trick is this. It sounds like you might have an off-brand uh, 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 product there uh, instead of a mainline product. I don't know if it's a Nest or a Ring. or uh, I know Nest makes a fantastic uh, uh, wireless keypad, and there are some biometric keypads out there. Anyway... The thing that you want to do can happen. I just don't know if it's, if it's going to happen with your particular brand. But um, most people ask the question, can I get this part of my overall like uh, Google HomeKit or uh, Apple HomeKit setup? And uh, not necessarily. Some brands need to specifically be set up to work with Apple HomeKit or with uh, Google Home, uh, you know, that kind of uh, setup. But if they don't work with those systems, then they should stand alone and it should have come with its own app. So my suggestion is that you just look up the brand name online, find out. Uh, I'm assuming that that door lock has its own app that you can download to your smartphone. The app will help you interface with your Wi-Fi in your house. And then through that app, um, you should be able to control locking and unlocking the door remotely via Wi-Fi and the interweb. Um, it just may not be something that seamlessly works with Siri or Alexa or anything like that, but that doesn't mean that it won't work through its own independent app. Uh, so uh, give it a try, Kyle. Uh, can we squeeze another one in here? Uh, sure. Why don't we talk to uh, David? Hey, David. Welcome home. Hey, good morning. Good morning. My Am I speaking with Dean, the house whisperer? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes, you <laughs> are. heard that before, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, I have a traditional hot water heater. I've been very lucky. It's lasted almost 12 years, but it's time to change it out. I'm getting two conflicting stories, so I have some questions about the benefits of going to the tankless, spending the extra money, and doing all the extra piping work. But then someone else told me that now they offer half-inch, for tankless, and also that the fact that if you turn on the hot water, do you have to wait for it to be or turn it on a certain pressure before you actually get hot with a tankless versus letting the water run for a while with a traditional hot water heater? Okay, okay. Um, uh, all right, see where to start here. Uh, oh, you know what? So Here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with going to break. Okay. Yeah, we're going to start with going to a break. I'm going to pop you on hold here. And when we come back, uh, I'm going to answer David's hot water heater question. Uh, does he go tankless? Does he stick with the tank? And what is required if you're going to put in a tankless hot, hot water heater? And what should your expectation of its performance be? You're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. Welcome home. 
We're talking tubs today, but uh, I want to finish up with a call that I've uh, got from uh, David. Uh, David, you still there, buddy? Yes, sir. All right. So David uh, had questions about changing out his hot water heater uh, from uh, the old tank version to potentially using a tankless. So let me just clear up a couple of points here for you. Uh, tankless hot water heaters, they are the future. They're more energy efficient. Uh, they take up less space uh, and the the benefit of endless hot water. Uh, if you've sized the heater properly to your home and to your own desires, meaning that uh, hot water, uh, tankless hot water heaters are sized based on uh, how many fixtures you want running at the same time, drawing hot water all at the same time. And uh, so the the size, quote unquote, of the hot water heater, the size of the heating unit uh, is what makes the determination as to how much hot water they can output all at once. So that's what you do. You size it up based on each fixture in your home that you want hot water coming out of simultaneously with others. You count up the gallons per minute that that fixture uses and all the others, and that's what you uh, do to figure out the size of the hot water heater. You don't have to upgrade the water line size uh, to change out a hot water heater. You don't have to upgrade the the half-inch water line supplies in your home. They're designed to use those half-inch water line supplies, so those stay the same. But what you do most likely have to upgrade is the size of the gas line. Uh, an old tanked hot water heater can just have a regular half-inch gas line running to it. Uh, the same equivalent size for a tankless probably needs at least a three-quarter, maybe a one-inch gas line running to it. Now, that's not upgrading the meter. You don't have to worry about that uh, in most cases. But it is upgrading the size of the supply line from the meter to the uh, the new tankless hot water heater, and that's probably where you're going to get a plumber involved to at least do those calculations if you're not handy calcing them yourself. But it can totally be done, upgrading the size of the gas line, because the tankless hot water heater heats very hot, very fast, and it has a large uptake of gas, and it's not going to get the job done if, uh, if it can't draw that much gas into it to really get those burners uh, rolling. Um, the last of your questions, though, uh, endless hot water doesn't mean instant hot water everywhere. It just means endless hot water. It doesn't change the fact that the water still has to travel the same distance from the water heater location to the fixture. And so if you normally wait one minute for hot water to show up to the master sink, then you're still going to be waiting one minute for the hot water to show up to the master sink. It's just the difference is once it gets there, uh, you can just keep it on and it will never go cold because it's not a tank that's being depleted. It's a constant feed. If you want hot water to show up faster, then you can install one of these uh, point-of-use pumps underneath the sink that bleeds hot water off that line, pushes it into your cold water line, and basically it just keeps coaxing the hot water closer and closer to the fixture. That's something that gets activated by you when you walk into the bathroom ahead of time because it still needs that minute or if you're in new construction, you can uh, uh, plumb, replumb your uh, hot water line, uh, all the lines in your house as a circuit so that there's a return from the hot water fixture. And uh, what that does is it allows you to put a recirculation pump at the hot water heater location. Some hot water heaters come 
with recirculation pumps built into them. So instead of a tree branch structure, imagining that being your hot water line where everything is a dead end at the very end, um, instead of that, there is a return line coming back from every fixture back to uh, the hot water heater. And that way the recirc pump allows uh, all the water in the house to keep moving. And because of that, it never cools off down a branch circuit. And because of that, every time you turn on a faucet, boom, there's the hot water ready to go for you. So, David, good question. Thanks. I hope that clears that up for you. A couple more things to say about tubs before we are done uh, this morning. Um, today's freestanding tubs actually save space. Now, they don't save space over the little niched-in uh, five-foot by two-and-a-half-foot uh, apron front tub. That's about as efficient as a tub gets, generally speaking. But... For those of you who are thinking, well, I don't have room to put in a freestanding soaker tub uh, in a bathroom, uh, no, not, not necessarily true, especially if you're redesigning the bathroom in general. There's one reason why. There's no question, by the way, that if you're pulling out an old 80s or 90s jetted blower tub with the big platform, you're going to save room because you get rid of the platform and everything. Secondly, even if technically the, the, the tub that you're putting in is not any smaller than the tub that you're pulling out, uh, the fact that you can see more floor, visually speaking, means that visually the bathroom grows larger. We're going to talk about this tomorrow as well when we talk about curbless showers. The idea of the bathroom floor not being interrupted by anything, even if it's not floor you walk on, if it's floor that you see, your brain, your brain is telling you, oh, this bathroom is roomier than it used to be. Believe me. It is 100% true all of the time. So seeing more of the floor makes the room feel bigger. The other thing, too, though, is that there are many, many more uh, shapes and sizes to tubs than you would think. If you've got a tight situation, consider a Japanese-style soaker tub. Now, I'm not talking about an authentic Japanese tub that will run you in the thousands of dollars that's made out of uh, hinoki wood and that gives us this lovely aromatic aroma every time hot water hits the wood that if you can afford that fantastic but there are japanese style tubs and what that means is instead of stretching out and laying down in the tub a japanese style soaker keeps you sitting upright like the chair that i'm sitting in right now they are taller and deeper but uh, narrower in diameter. So we're talking about, you can get a Japanese tub that's 36 inches in diameter for a one-person tub, be sitting in it comfortably like the chair I'm sitting in right now, and have the water running all the way up to your collarbones. It is actually very, very comfortable way to sit and soak in a tub. You don't have to be laying down prone in order to enjoy a good soak. The Japanese have proved this for centuries. So consider it. All right, everybody. Handle on the Law is up next. Thanks again for spending the morning with me. It has been a privilege, as always. Tomorrow we are back at 9 talking about showers. Until then, whatever your plan is for the day, be intentional, be kind, be open to life, and get out there and get busy building yourself a beautiful life. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.